Hello, racing fans. Edison Hatter back with the second episode of First Over with Edison Hatter of today. This time, going to discuss the Saturday evening action at Woodby Mohawk. That will be Saturday, September the 4th, 2021. Monique and I teased this uh, card a little bit, a really great 13 race card coming up, but to actually help me discuss it and handicap it, I'm pleased to be joined by the voice of Century Downs and the track on two, Murray Aslau. So, Murray, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Edison. Happy to be here. So, Murray, before we get into some handicapping, and this is for sure, you can agree, a fantastic, fantastic Saturday evening card at Woodbine Mohawk. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about your background. And, um, you know, I just happened to catch before we came on the air here an interview where you were talking about um, all the tracks you've announced at, your background. I think you said you started when you were 23. So uh, why don't you give us that little <laughs> intro to yourself? Yeah, that's right. Long, long, long time ago. I'm not sure you were even born yet, Edison. You can tell me, but I started when I was 23, which was in the year 1993. Many... Yeah, you were six years before I was born at that point. Okay, so there you go. I was already announcing at the age of 23 many, many moons ago. Um, I started in Lethbridge, Alberta. You probably heard that in the interview. I don't know if it was the one I, I did with Jason uh, Bean. Um, but, uh, yeah, started started in Lethbridge at a track called Whoop Up Downs, which is uh, definitely one of the better track names out there that you're going to find. Um, and I was calling thoroughbreds and quarter horses to start with, and then I had a chance to do some harness racing, which actually was my what I was really into at the time, especially, and betting and, and owning some harness horses and all of that. So got to call some harness racing, and then I had the ability uh, after that, was lucky enough to get offered to announce at Stampede Park, and announced there from uh, 1998 until it closed, which was in 2008, and uh, did some thoroughbreds there as well. I actually called the last harness race at Stampede Park in 2006, the last thoroughbred race they had in 2008, and then uh, since then, uh, well, there was a slight gap there. And then after that, uh, Century Downs uh, opened up. And I've been at Century Downs uh, primarily ever since. But I have called at quite a few other tracks, Northlands Park, Century Mile a little bit, the track on two now. What the track on two used to be called was Alberta Downs. I called there as well. Those would be the main ones. Yes, yeah, cer certainly a good list you've got there. Um, now, so I have to ask you, as a fellow announcer, for me, I was a big thoroughbred fan. So when I came into the announcing side of the harness side, I for sure threw in some uh, thoroughbred terms in my harness calls. So for you, calling thoroughbreds, quarter horses, harness, yeah. all at the same track for that matter, how do you keep it all straight? <laughs> yeah, that, I probably did a little bit of the reverse of what you did, which is I was probably throwing harness terms in with my thoroughbred calls. Um, you know, especially when, uh, you know, I, I, I primarily been following harness racing and, and then I got the chance to just call harness racing when I came to Stampede Park and then I kind of had to come back to thoroughbreds. And so I had to kind of, yeah, you know, really get in, in, in your mind. It, it's important to get the terminology straight in your mind, right. And try to use the proper, uh, phrases and terms, because there are some differences, certainly. Um, but yeah, just try to keep it straight. I think there's the odd time that I probably would slip up, but I don't think I ever, you know, call the thoroughbred horse coming first over or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I think usually I was all right, but, um, you know, my background and, mo and most of the races I've called overall, even though I started out calling thoroughbreds, I definitely called more harness races overall than thoroughbred races. So, um, so Murray... So you, uh, for anyone that follows you on social media, for sure, of course, knows that you yourself are, are indeed a gambler. And um, mm -hmm. I know you told me that your big harness track is, of course, Wood by Mohawk, which is great that you're on to discuss this card with me. But uh, tell us a little bit more about some of the other things you like to uh, uh, bet on. Yeah, well, I mean, 
when Western Western Canadian harness racing is on at, at you know, at, well, at Century, I'm the racing analyst and announcer, so obviously I know those horses pretty well. I might make the odd wager there when they're up at Century Mile. I'll bet there, and and then Fraser Downs when Fraser is going, it's kind of nice for me because it's a lot of the same horses that I see here in Alberta. I know them well, but yet I'm you know basically sitting in my basement watching instead of instead of announcing and working, and so I can sit back and you know put in a bunch of 30 and 40 dollars straight tries which is what i do quite often there and because it's a lot of times it's pretty formful um but i have a pretty decent idea of of, of you know the uh how good each each horse is so i do bet fraser downs uh enjoy that um once in a while i will bet cal expo of course i will bet the meadowlands at times um so th- that's pretty much it i don't really stray too far you know i'm not i don't bet and it's not the against of the tracks i don't bet yonkers i don't bet meadows and a few other ones that are fairly popular that i don't bet but um western canadian for sure woodbine mohawk park those are my main ones yeah i can't blame you there i for sure you know working at rosecroft some of those late nights leaving down there definitely catch a little bit of the back end of a fraser card or, or in general i'm kind of up late so if i'm not watching like australian racing i might catch you know some uh Hastings or um, uh, the Cinnaboya or something out there for sure. Um, right. So what about, I know you also talked to me a little bit about, about thoroughbreds. What about um, in terms of your thoroughbred interests? Yeah, thoroughbreds, I've been, I, I concentrate mostly on the California uh, thoroughbreds. I've been to Del Mar, I've been to Santa Anita, both places, you know, great tracks to visit, obviously, idyllic settings and, and just a lot of fun that I've been able to go down there, not since COVID started, but do have a do have a trip planned in November for Del Mar um, after Breeders' Cup is over. Uh, we're hoping to go down there, but that's what I that's what I concentrate most of my thoroughbred action on. Um, in fact, just earlier tonight, I was alive for uh, alive to uh, a single in the last leg in the Pink Five at Del Mar, uh, paying seventeen thousand uh, dollars. Even money favorite, Lady and Crack, Peter Miller. Usually that horse would probably win, but uh, gate open, the horse jumps straight up in the air. Edison, so that's a little little taste of the life of a pick five player right there. But um, usually do pretty well at Del Mar. Um, I bet I, I occasionally bet uh, the Eastern tracks as well, but mostly pretty much have narrowed down to, to for betting. You know, say a Saratoga or a Gulfstream. Usually, I'm going to be betting when there's a carryover or, of course, a mandatory uh, day for a you know a pick six. Or if there's you know a pick five or pick six carryover, I'm pretty much down to betting those only in those situations. Well, I guess I'll, I'll reveal how much I was paying attention to uh, some gambling and some racing today as too. Uh, was that taming the tigress? Was that race five? That horse? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yes, that was the one. Yeah, was, that, that was a that tough one. one. Uh, you know, broke it, broke that last. It still came on for fourth. Uh, was That's running right. on through the stretch, but yeah, I no, think, I feel you on that one for sure. I would have to think, like anyone that was alive for that horse, that if the horse could have actually broke with the field, it probably would have won, and uh, that would be seventeen thousand over the coffers. So. That's, you know, that's a tough one. And, and, and the, the sad thing is that any pick five player will tell you if I had a whole bunch of horses there or somehow all or something, well, that's when, of course, that favorite would win. You know, that just seems to be how it goes. But I needed I needed that horse and, uh, yeah, uh, did not break well. I mean, basically the same thing happened tonight at Mohawk. I was alive with all uh, in the last leg of the pick five. They were, you know, they were either paying relatively low, like $260 or paying huge, like 3000 or 4000 and the horse that got second was actually my highest payout. He's only $9,400. And he got second to um, um, the horse that was one for 43 in his last 43. Uh, got a beautiful trip there from Drury and, and, and beat me. So 
again, you know, that was the race where I needed the needed the long shot, needed the favorite to fall there, and, and and the favorite got there. So it's been a bit of a bit of an up and down day for me so far, but that's that's a typical kind of a Thursday or Friday for me. Usually Del Mar leaving in the Mohawk, um, and uh, you know, I enjoy both. There's a lot of people that limit themselves to one breed, and um, really, I don't think there's any reason to if you enjoy both then like you do yourself, Edison, uh, bet on both. Yeah, definitely with you. Enjoy both. Um, yeah, all cheddar put in that huge effort um, in that last leg of that pick five at uh, I believe like thirty to one. Um, exactly. You you yeah. saw I, I know you liked it on Twitter. You saw my my luck at Woodby Mohawk betting a, a six dollar twenty cent winner in a daily double that only yes. paid six dollars. So you That's, know, yeah, those days. Anytime you got to win a nine horse in there, you got to watch the payouts. I, I, I actually commented on Twitter last week when there was two straight super heavy favorites, and in the last leg was won by a horse that was um, went off at uh, I believe six to one. The two dollar win price on the horse in the last leg paid more than the two dollar late double and the two dollar late pick three. <laughs> now coming yeah. off, you see that. Yeah, that, that's a rarity. Uh, this this one was interesting to me because I, I know people are saying on social media, but for sure, I really didn't expect Let's Do It to end up at one to two and duly resolved at two to one. It's kind of an interesting late switch there in the late money in that in that first race. But uh, I'll cash a ticket at least better than obviously losing. So you know, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if it's six twenty to six dollars, you can live with it. Um, I actually keyed the three horse in the first leg of the, of the pick five myself. That's how I was alive to be able to catch something as great as possibly all cheddar in the last race. So yeah, I actually needed the three there. So we both were on the three, just uh, I wasn't going to touch the daily double uh, at six bucks. Yeah, and a, a really good effort there to uh, hold off. Let's do it through the stretch there. A really good stretch duel between those two for sure. Um, and we'll Absolutely. Those them both in the final. Trotters, both of them, they both were really, uh, really trotting down the lane for sure. So, Murray, you know what? This is great timing since I just had Monique on, obviously a fellow Canadian, uh, this morning. So now with you... Per your uh, Twitter bio, gotta ask. We're talking about you know how Canadians become fans of certain teams. So for you, you have for football, <laughs> Steelers, baseball, right. the Giants, hockey, right. the Buffalo Sabers, and Golden State Warriors for basketball. So uh, yes. tell us about how you got your fandoms there. That's, yeah, real mixed bag there, but that's that's because I grew up in Saskatchewan, Regina, Saskatchewan, is where I grew up, and um, you know we didn't have we didn't have a, obviously an NFL team, an NHL team, a major league baseball team, or or a basketball team, so I just started cheering for, you know, any team I wanted, not based on geography at all, other than, of course, cheering for the CFL, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. That's absolutely guaranteed if you grew up in Saskatchewan, but ended up, you know, grew up in the 70s, so the Steelers were awesome. They were the Steel Curtain. They were killing everyone, so it's only natural I became a Steelers fan. Um, became a San Francisco Giants fan shortly after in the early 80s when I uh, became a big fan of uh, one of their hitters named uh, Will Clark. Huge Will Clark fan, so it kind of been a Giants fan ever since. Um, Warriors, I actually started cheering for the Warriors, not not in the Seth Curry, uh, Steph Curry days, I should say, not Seth Curry, Steph Curry days, but actually way back in the Chris Mullen, Tim Hardaway uh, years. Um, Run TMC, I believe it was called, um, uh, for, for them and Mitch Richmond. So that's when I started to cheer for the Warriors. I guess that would have been circa, what, late 80s maybe? And... Uh, What's my other one on there? I can't remember. Uh, Sabres. Oh, Sabres. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Yes, that's long, longest suffering of all of them is, of course, the Buffalo Sabres. Again, grew up in the 70s. Um, there would be one hockey game on for a week on Saturday nights. I was a hockey player, hockey fan, everything, and it would be Montreal against somebody. And uh, just started to hate 
I hate to in Montreal because they just be on every week winning and uh, started to gravitate to the Sabres team that had a guy named Gilbert Perot, who was a very talented hockey player, and started cheering for them even though they were never on TV. And literally since 1978, I decided I was a Sabres fan when I was eight years old. And of course, here it is, 2021, I'm 51, and I'm still waiting for the Sabres to win anything. But I, I am absolutely a diehard Sabres fan. <laughs> Well, good, good. I'm not the only person. I, I My fandoms also came in very similar ways. Now, obviously, I am from uh, Baltimore, so I guess I, I can root for our local Baltimore teams. But, um, yeah, via, uh, you know, parents that weren't exactly huge sports fans, my dad did introduce me to one team that unfortunately had to be the Baltimore Orioles. That's also going to be a right. long-suffering. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, well, at least you have the Orioles. That's kind of like being a Sabres fan. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, in terms of other sports, yeah, so – Interesting enough, I became a Ravens and a Steelers fan. That's always an interesting combo. Um, That's for hockey, it's the Anaheim Ducks for me. Um, and then for basketball, the Orlando Magic. So, yeah, very spread out uh, uh, fandom. And then the other the other thing I follow is, is women's college volleyball, so big Stanford University fan. So, yeah, nice. I'm pretty spread out as well, for sure. Nice. Well, with I being a Ravens fan, I think it would be pretty hard to also be a Steelers fan. But if you can pull that off, more power to you, I guess. Yeah, it certainly is always an interesting combo, um, and you know I've always I've always cheered for the home team whenever they play each other, and otherwise, hopefully, they just kind of stay out of each other's way, and uh, you know both have right. good seasons. But uh, you know, well, yeah, they they have both made the playoffs several times, of course, uh, but uh, usually a good battle for the division. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, should be. Uh, once again, this year, looking forward to it. Actually, I guess we're getting close here. What, about 10 days? Or I guess uh, actually a week from today, next Thursday, for a kickoff game down in Tampa Bay. So uh, definitely getting the NFL season. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the Steelers have to go to Buffalo uh, uh, first week. Another one of your guests there, um, Garnet Barnsdale. Um, his bills look pretty tough, but that's what that's what the Steelers have week one. So that's, that's going to be a test. Yeah, I, know. I was talking to Garnett about that, and uh, hopefully the border is good and open. Hopefully they can uh, use their season tickets this year for sure. I think he said he had to sell those tickets, unfortunately, for opening game, but hopefully they'll get to use them the rest of the year. Yes, that's what he said. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the border. Um, I have five TVs in, in my basement set up in sort of a grid, so that's my that's my preferred place for watching the uh, NFL anyway. But, of course, we race at Century Downs on Sundays, so I'm a little bit of permission for NFL until uh, early November when uh, our last game is November 7th at Century Downs. Yeah, I'm always glad when it comes to like Super Bowl time, we at Rosecroft take off that Sunday, and I guess more power to Gabe Pruitt. I always do enjoy watching some good Pompano at halftime of the Super Bowl, but uh, I'm glad that we get the day off at Rosecroft on Super Bowl Sunday to watch the game. <laughs> yeah, they get a pretty good handle uh, being the only track going, as I recall, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially last year. I mean, you know, it wasn't a particularly competitive game there. So right, I think right. uh, second half, people were paying attention to Pompano if they were racing fans. <laughs> I know I was. I, I, I do enjoy betting the Pomp. I didn't mention that earlier when I was going down my tracks because they're not racing now. But I do I do bet the Pomp. I have, I've had some decent wins there. also had a ticket that I wrote down in January. Wrote down to bet. Didn't bet it. And it, and it was it was going to pay me the whole pool of about 36000 if I'd actually bet it. So that was also a tough day, but uh, I find their pick five, it, it's its not the same as Del Mar, of course, certainly, but just in terms of a pool, what you have to get to have happen for it to pay well is not extremely usually hard, to, uh, you know, difficult at the pump. It basically takes one, maybe two favorites getting beat, and it pays way, way, way more than it should in the pick five. So I, I do definitely enjoy the pump. I was hoping to make a pilgrimage there before it closes, um, possibly in January, but everything's up in the air now because we don't really know what the dates are, and of course, COVID issues and everything. But possibly, maybe get there uh, this this season. I would like to. 
Yeah, it's one of the few places um, I've, I've not been personally, and um, for sure I've, I've told Gabe Pruitt that definitely someday I will be down there for sure this uh, meet. Um, so hopefully looking forward to that and uh, celebrate their last year of racing down there. And um, yeah, yeah, I got down there last year to catch the last day of uh, Greyhound racing down there in Florida. But uh, anyway, no, another story for another time. Uh, we got we got a big card of wood by Mohawks. We better get to some handicapping here, Murray. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, ready to go here. So we'll start here with race one. We're going to talk the first 11 races on this card, but we will, as always, give out early pick five tickets. Um, and this early pick five, $100,000 guaranteed pull, a 20-cent base wager, does start in race one. And that's the Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Division, $101,400 purse. It's on the pace for the two-year-old Colts and Geldings. And, Murray, how did you see this one? Well, I ended up with 147 in my pick five. And, obviously, I think the one and four are going to be the favorites. They're the logical. I mean, obviously, blah, blah, blah will take some support, too. I'm kind of, I guess, against him. But to me, one and four looks solid. I put in the seven as a price horse with Teetrick taking over the driving duties um, as a horse that may slip in there. I like when the U.S. drivers come to Mohawk and drive a lot more aggressively. They don't just, you know, sit and sit, as a lot of people on Twitter will complain about the action of Mohawk Park tonight. You know, a little passive, little conservative uh, driving sometimes. The American drivers come up and, and mix it up a bit. So I don't like to leave trick off too many tickets, so I do have the seven in there, but one would be my top pick. Uh, race grade all year, obviously, three out of four. Picks up Doug McNair, and, um, you know, to me, he's the horse to beat off what he's done so far. I like the race, only four starts, and then the four has just been closing incredibly well. Uh, Edison, obviously, 26 and change each of the last two times. Bob chooses this horse. He was also driving the one, and um, have, to, have to respect him driving for John Pentland with the horse that's... Uh, this closing the way he is, the way he's finishing with Miles has uh, been impressive. So for me, one and four with a long shot, seven. So for me, I'm ending up really cheap on this pick five, and it just kind of be one of those things that, you know, it's a $3.20 ticket for me, and to be honest with oh. you, if it paid like 20 bucks, I'd probably be happy on it. So it's one of those <laughs> things that if I do play it myself, I'm really just going to play it for a good base amount and hopefully right. make like six to one of my money. But but it is a tricky one. You know, these stakes races sometimes do end pretty formful. So uh, with that said, for me to start it off, it is the one Colby two-step and the four Stonebridge Helios, obviously the likely two favorites, but I think they're just the two to beat in here. Um, but before we flip on to race two, I just got to throw out there and kind of talk real quick about the six, Bob um, Loblaw. I, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, the, the, the owner and the trainer is, of course, Ken Middleton, the drag announcer at yes. by Mohawk. Mm -hmm. I would not have been as cool and professional as he was calling that horse to a victory, and not just any victory, in a stakes race over better half my money your your battle of waterloo winner um a yeah. very cool race call that he got to make that night yeah i was i actually was listening uh i, I was driving back from the track run too and I had the had the race on my phone and i knew that he owned the horse i knew the horse had a chance and it's funny because i really identify with him having to call that horse because i used to own a few horses at stampede park and i had to call them uh racing and sometimes winning and just, you know, obviously you have to stay professional, but you can't hide the excitement in your voice. And I could hear the excitement in his voice, definitely, and and some emotion as well. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But still, as you said, maintained definitely a professional race call. Um, the, the the photo was so close at the end, he obviously um, had to call, you know, just being a photo. Uh, couldn't actually call his horse as a winner. But, um, you know, congrats to him. Horse race great. And as you said, professional race call in, in, in what is definitely not an easy thing to pull off. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, the other thing you said that I will comment on, uh, you know what, I, I do look forward to this card because not only American drivers coming up, but also some of the um, American horses. So uh, a good yes. chance for me to talk about some of our Meadowlands horses we've seen the last couple months for sure. Yeah, and I've seen um, a lot of those races from the Meadowlands, but you would have uh, definitely even better insight than me. And it's great when those horses come up and, and the drivers and, 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 you know, the Grand Circuit action, obviously, this is the this is the, the the prime time for Mohawk racing and, and definitely the best time of year when, when the American drivers and horses come up. Well, anyway, so as we flip on here to race two, another Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Division on the pace, $100,600 purse. It's for the two-year-old Colts and Geldings. This is a field of seven. Who'd you use in here, Murray? I use four horses, um, which, you know, at first glance, uh, you wouldn't think this would be a race where you'd use four horses, but I honestly don't think that the two better have my money. I really don't think he probably should have lost that last race. So that was a bit of a red flag for me. Um, I didn't want to leave out the combination of Casey uh, Coleman, uh, Herlihy, and Dave Miller. I've seen them win way too many races together, so I obviously included the three. The six has been racing outstanding, uh, Magical Arthur. Philly um, Hunter did a great job with, with him. So I included him, and then I put in the seven. Uh, this is a, this one again is a little bit of an outsider, but one that I wanted to include in my ticket. Um, the handicapping note with this one, Edison, is pretty clear. You just look at the two times that Bob McClure drove this horse. He drove him on July 9th at seventy-nine to one. He was a winner. He drove him on August sixteenth, much lower price, two and a half to one, and he was a winner. And he closed in twenty-six and three and twenty-six and two in both of those races. Basically, both races. He looked like he was absolutely shot out of a cannon in the stretch. So if you cross out every other race the horse has had, which is only uh, four other races, the two races with Bob are competitive with these because he's pacing at 52 and change and he's closing in 26. So that's why I included that horse. That's a bit of a you know a price play for me in there. But I ended up going with all four, two, three, six, and seven. Well, you make a good case for that seven. I might have to throw him in there at a price. Um, but for me, I just use the two and the six in here. Yeah, I, you know, if you would ask me, like, maybe two starts ago or three starts ago, better have my money might be a single even. But um, right. those last two efforts have been less than superb since he won the Battle of Waterloo over at Grand River on Industry Day. Um, so I definitely think he could win here. But um, I don't know. He's disappointed there at a short price two times in a row. So um, I also exactly. will use the six magical Arthur who's also obviously been racing um, pretty well here lately, uh, winning the, the Sagawea in uh, 52 flat, 27 to three last quarter took over past the uh, three quarters and just kind of rolled through the stretch there. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime a horse can make that move and then still continue on that you want, you want to see that. So he raced great. And yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, maybe the battle of Waterloo final took a little bit out of better have my money. He hasn't quite been the same thing. Certainly still a very uh, solid two year old and a contender. But yeah, I just didn't feel comfortable singling him either. He's obviously burned a lot of money in the last couple starts. I just see him as being, you know, one of the contenders. So um, yeah, I did. I did not want to single him either. So you ended up with just two and six, though, right? Yeah, just two and six for me. I mean, you know, for better of my money, four, four for four after the Battle of Waterloo looked, looked really, really good. And now, all of a sudden, four for six, including a fifth-place finish in a field of five at uh, one to nine is, you know, kind of a, a red flag yeah. there for sure. I came first up that day, but really no other excuse. So, yes, there was something I missed that day for sure. Two weeks later, raced okay, but, uh, you know, did get beat by the horse that slipped out just off his back, which was Bob Loblaw. But um, I thought he probably should have, you know, won that race the trip wasn't that bad so yeah that's that's for me uh why i was a little hesitant and uh yeah i would you know 
you don't have uh, you don't got the Casey Coleman Dave Miller combo, or you don't have my upset or seven. So we'll see what happens. But I, I did want to have both of those in my ticket. So as we move on to race three, this is one of the eliminations for the good times for the three-year-olds on the trot, a $30,000 purse. This is a field of six, and you have a single in here. I do, and this is where it's going to narrow down, just in case anyone thinks I'm going to hand out a $300 ticket here. I'm, I'm definitely, definitely not. I do have three horses, four horses, the first two legs, but I'm going to single the next two legs. I'm going to single the two horse here and the two horse in the fourth. They're both going to be Tim Petrick driving for Marcus Melander. And I think basically in both races, they're the best horse. They're probably the best horse by quite a bit. And it's going to be either you single that horse or you really spread out, probably take all. So I decided to go the single route and keep it thin. And that allows me to put in, in the first race, you know, my seven horse and then the second race, the seven horse. So I keep dancing in the dark. And this horse has been um, obviously pretty much uh, a solid horse that's going to win as long as he stays uh, trotting. Is basically the way he's been Yeah, that's kind of the way I saw this race. I used two in here. I ended up using the two and the six again. Um, so I was dancing in the dark, a horse quite familiar with down at the Meadowlands. Um, we've we have had a very love hate relationship, and I am pretty sure that the most common phrase that I've said on the Meadowlands broadcast in my time there is, "He will win if he stays flat." Um, yes. It's winner and, break type. You know, breaking and burning downs. I guess to me, I kind of excuse that a little bit. You know, um, but uh, I guess yeah, he's still he's got to shift the Mohawk at racing track he hasn't racing yet. So there's definitely some some risk there, but that's why they call it gambling, not free money, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I maybe I still kind of have a bitter taste in my mouth from a Hamiltonian Day in the Muscle Hill. I remember that break <laughs> coming down to the, the stretch there at one to five. Um, so yeah, right. like I said, definitely the class of this field if he can stay flat. But, um, you know, really disappointing, too, to, to even miss the Hamiltonian final, actually, to be racing on Hamiltonian Day, not in the Hamiltonian, because right. of that break in the elimination. Absolutely, yeah. And then the late break on uh, in the Muscle Hill there, like you mentioned, that's a real heartbreaker, especially at 20 cents on the dollar. But, um, you know, gonna it, like I say, for me, it's either key or, or possibly take board. Nothing wrong with fashion frenzy. Certainly this horse has been racing outstanding as you mentioned, but I just don't think, you know, obviously he's not going to probably rip off a mile in 50 or 51 like Dancing in the Dark can if he minds his manners. So for me, it's either two or, or, or spread right out, and I just think it'll be two. Yeah, I can't blame it there, but like I said, the other one that I use is the Six Fashion Frenzy. Um, You know, I, I thought that was a nice win last time out, um, and even money there in that Ontario Saturday's Gold Division. Um, Obviously, he won't get that trip again, being able to, you know, leave from post three and just lead the whole way, but uh, I think... Right. Should Dancing in the Dark run into his usual problems, maybe that'll be the one to, to pick up the check instead. Um, but yeah, definitely Dancing in the Dark, the one to beat there if he can stay flat. Um, yeah, so race four, the so. other Good Times Elimination, the three-year-olds on the trot, another $30,000 purse in the field of seven this time. And as you alluded to earlier, another single for you here, Murray. Yeah, same kind of same. I mean, I don't think Son of a Mystery is quite as strong possibly as Dancing in the Dark, but same kind of approach where, you know, he catches a field here he should be. Um, if he can stay trotting, which he hasn't, doesn't show as many breaks as Dancing in the Dark, but does show a couple. Um, I just think it's single or, or spread again here. So I, so I single him because the other American horse coming up, uh, Locatelli, has been making even more breaks and, and, and racing 40, right? So he's coming up and facing some of the other Canadian trotters. There's certainly nothing wrong with them, but I don't think they're in some of the mysteries league as long as he minds his manners. And I'm gonna, you know, gonna go with, uh, uh, this this one, Tim uh, Tietrich has not been driving. He's going to take over for Brian Sears. But uh, same connection, same post, everything. You know, Tietrich for Melander. 
just going to stick with it and, and single this horse as well uh, to try to keep the ticket slim. And, um, you know, no use spreading if these horses are going to be dominant, which they certainly may be. Yeah, so so once again, for me, I use two in here. It's the two and the seven. I do use our two uh, uh, American invaders. Um, Son of a Mystery, for sure, was was very highly ranked on the Hamiltonian rankings for the longest time. And, uh, in fact, he went off at seven to two in the final. Um, finished sixth that day with Brian Sears driving. So it does get Tim Tietrich here this time around. And, um, yeah, you know, you kind of had to hold your breath with him there. Beginning of the summer, you know, a couple breaks there right at the wire. Something just kind of spooked him in the stretch. But um, the last four have been clean lines. And I think pretty good races overall, but all from outside post. So post two today, definitely a good one. Um, so definitely could not blame you for singling him there. But right. the seven Locatelia, I think, is also a pretty talented one. Um, he's gone fifty-one and one before. He's two for ten this year, one for nine last year. A lot of breaking issues. So he for sure has to stay flat to have any chance in here. Um, but you know that last qualifier was pretty good with Dexter Dunn, stayed flat there. Um, coming off the two breaks in the Beal and in the Hamiltonian final. So uh, hopefully. Maybe he can work it out because I suspect Son of a Mystery is going to be your favorite. So Locatelli, maybe a little bit of a price might upset this one, but uh, right. for sure cannot um, blame you for singling Son of a Mystery. Yeah, Locatelli, you know, qualified four days after making the break there uh, at Pocono, and you know, I, I just don't know if there's been enough time to iron out whatever his issues are. Now he's going to have to race again on September fourth. Um, just too many breaking issues for me to to double the cost of my ticket. You know, to put in one other horse, I thought it was yeah, it was either it was either son of a mystery, or I was going to take definitely more horses than just the two and the seven in here. But um, you know, again, son of a mystery, I think is the class here, and uh, um, I'm going to count on Timmy to get it done. Yeah, I got, I got to agree with you, especially on the, on these last two. You know, dancing and dark son of mystery both should get it done as, as long as they can um, stay stay flat for sure um, in those eliminations. So as we move on. To race five, this is the $316,000 Roses Are Red final for the Phillies and Mares on the pace. And now, Murray, now, so, so far, your ticket has been built 147 with 2367 with the single to the two, with another single to the two. And now you were explaining to me in this last leg that you're actually going to play two separate tickets going into this last leg. So those that first four races stay the same. But then in this last leg, you want to have a ticket just for a dollar base $12 play that will single to the one by in Sentinel. And then you're going to have a 20 cent ticket alive to the one, the four, the seven, the nine and the 11. So talk a little bit about um, your, your rationale and structuring your tickets that way. Yeah. I just wanted to give a little taste of, of what I try to do. when if I, if I'm going to bet multiple tickets, I want to have different amounts alive to different horses or it doesn't even have to be to the last leg. In this case, I just uh, thought this last leg was a good one to kind of indicate Lion Sentinel is going to be the favorite. Lion Sentinel is probably the best mare, but it's an outstanding field. But I want—I don't want to just be alive for say. Let, let's say I was alive for twenty cents to five different horses. Well, I know Lion Sentinel is going to—her her, payout is going to be half as much as anyone else, and is probably twice as likely a winner. So I don't want to have twenty cents alive, to, or or the same amount alive to a bunch of different horses and just pray the longest one wins. I want to structure my tickets properly, where yes, I'll have a dollar alive for Lion Sentinel. Because she's the most likely winner, and of course, I'm kind of counteracting the fact that the payout's going to be lower with her as well. But I do like her, and then so that's going to cost twenty dollars. That one dollar ticket that'll be live just to the one, and then I'm going to bet a twenty cent ticket that's going to have five different horses, and of course, five different horses at twenty cents each. That adds up to the same amount. It's also going to cost twelve dollars, and the five other horses that I um, I'm going to have a ticket with are four, seven, nine, ten, eleven. So I don't have the one on the 20 cent ticket. I just have the dollar one to the one 
and then 20 cents with 4, 7, 9, 10, 11. And this is such a great field. Obviously, I would have no problem with someone taking all 12 horses for 20 cents just to make sure they got it if something, uh, you know, really strange happens here. You've got a bulky field of 12, all kinds of, you know, you can have crazy crashing, you have horses getting locked in, shuffled back, etc. So, but that's what I ended up with for the purposes of our our um, our tickets here on the show, Edison. Um, Twelve dollar ticket that for a dollar that'll end with just the one, and the twenty cent ticket that'll have four, seven, nine, ten, eleven. Um, I wanted to include the you know sort of the local hopes, the ten and the eleven. They definitely didn't draw well in terms of uh, post positions, but both so much more. And uh, Lita Rose have been you know knocking heads in the Philly the Mayor's Open at I would buy Mohawk all year, and they're both. You know, just outstanding mares. Um, obviously, they would be probably somewhat pointed as roses are red, but now they've got you know American invaders coming in. But I wanted to at least have them on my tickets because they they are very you know very nice mares. Uh, Mock and Hope is a horse that used to race in Canada and is having an outstanding season with nine wins. I have her in there. I have Rocknificent who who came to Mohawk a week early, which is usually a good move. Get a start over the track. And she closed uh, off an outstanding inside trip that was given by uh, by Yannick there, and she closed and got up last time against uh, so much more. And then I also put in the four JK First Lady hasn't been racing the best lately, but obviously shows a win in forty seven and four at, at the Meadowlands, and it's Dexter Dunn and Nancy Cactor, so I have that one in there as well. That, that those are my twenty cent horses four seven nine ten eleven. Yeah, definitely a lot of horses you mentioned there that I've gotten a chance to see. And, uh, yeah, J.K. First Lady and Dorothy Halkett was really, really impressive in that 47-4. and four And uh, wasn't quite, you know, wasn't quite able to get it done in the Barton and the Lady Liberty. But uh, good good qualifier there at Pocono in 50-3. And three and uh, see if she takes well to this wood by Mohawk surface. Definitely in with a chance. Um, yeah, Rocknificent, another one I've seen. Mock and Hope, of course. And then, yeah, you mentioned so much more in Lita Rose. Been impressed watching those two on the Woodbine circuit. But, um for me, you're, Murray, you're going to hear me say this later on on the card with a horse as well, but there is a certain horse in this race that I have been against, I think, every start <laughs> she's made. So mm-hmm. you know what? I will finally admit that she is a very, very talented mare, and that is Lion Sentinel. So that is my single, and that is why she'll probably lose tomorrow night or Saturday <laughs> night. But <laughs> That's why um, I have those 20-cent ones still as well. But So so you're King Lion Sentinel, and that's why your ticket only costs how much? Two forty. Yeah, so to recap, um, so my ticket was one four with two six with two six with two seven with one. So that's a three dollar twenty cent play. Um, so my personal opinion, if I do play it, it'll probably be. I mean, a sixteen combinations probably do it for about a five dollar base, an eighty dollar play. And I think I told you, I'm hoping for like six to one or so on that investment. So if, yeah. if it can come back four hundred dollars total, something like that, or, you know, five hundred. That's really what I'm looking for. You're not really trying for you know a massive, massive score or anything, obviously, right. with that combination. Well, that's- that's very reasonable that it would pay that much, even if it basically chalks out. And you have a couple of races where, obviously, if you know Locatelli won instead of uh, uh, instead of uh, Son of a Mystery, that would make a huge difference. But I think that's very reasonable. They're, they're big fields and, and stake races, uh, or relatively big fields, and um, you know it's not likely that the pick five is ever going to pay less than uh, six to one on your money, like you said. So um, that's reasonable. Uh, you come down with a you know, a single in the last leg in a 12-horse field of outstanding mares, um, you know, certainly she can win, but I like to have at least at least some other opportunities to cash my ticket is basically why I did the $1 one with the one and then 20 cents with, with some others. Yeah, so just to recap for our listeners, so for you, 
Um, we'll start with that $12 ticket with the single to Lion Sentinel. So for a dollar base, you are going one four seven with two three six seven with two with two with one. So that's twelve dollars. That's right. And then for a twenty cent base ticket, you're going one four seven with two three six seven with two with two with four seven nine ten and eleven, and that's also a twelve dollar ticket. So twenty four dollars total for you. And of course, if the one wins, you'll get five times the twenty cent payout. And obviously, if one of the others does. Um, the payout definitely will be uh, per- much higher for the twenty cent price, of course, beating Lion Sentinel. Um, so definitely a good way to structure your tickets as well. Absolutely, I can tell you this: it will definitely be more than twelve dollars. So as we uh, move on here, we've got still six more races to talk about, Murray. And most importantly, coming up next, we have race six. Monique and I teased these races a little bit this morning on our show. Um, we have. Number 38, the Pepsi North American Cup. Number 38, the elimination for the three-year-olds on the pace, $50,000 purse. So this is the first of two eliminations. This is a field of seven. And what are your thoughts on this race? Well, probably like anyone else. I mean, the one thing I should mention, eliminations are a little scary sometimes, and that goes for some of the earlier races in our pick fives. Sometimes they're driven pretty passively and, you know, to make the final. But you think in this race, with three and four being the, you know, the standouts, Bulldog, Hanover, and Lava Shadow, both of them having very good early speed that you think they probably leave out of there, make it so they sit one, two, and they're going to finish one, two in some order that I can't really get away from that. Um, so for me, it's four, three, just because Lala Shadow's race so tough. Mark McDonald's done a great job driving him, but it's three, four or four, three, probably. I personally have a soft spot for the seven desperate man, uh, former uh, Alberta owner trainer driver, Paul Davies has a piece of this one with his family. So, and, and this horse raced outstanding, desperate man. But he's sort of by long shot. I hope he makes the final, see what he does. But it's hard to get away from the four and three, you'd have to agree. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as you mentioned, sometimes eliminations are tricky to figure out just because you're not quite sure how hard these horses will be pressed in the elimination. But um, right. correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe for Wood by Mohawk, the winners of these eliminations get to pick their post positions for the final. Is that correct? That is correct. And that is a good rule that gives at least some incentive to win for sure. Um, if you're second, third, you know, fourth, whatever it is to make the final, you, you're at, you know, at the mercy of the post position gods. But if you win, you do get to pick your post position in the final. Yeah. So for us, the Meadowlands, so like Meadowlands pace, for example, it, it's the elimination winners draw post one through six, but this may be even another step above that of getting to pick your post position. So for sure, it might be some incentive to, um, you know, try to get the win in these eliminations, but, um, yeah, I agree with you. Bulldog Hanover, Lawless Shadow are, are definitely two really major players here. Um, the American Invader that I just kind of mentioned this morning a little bit was the six Rocky Road Hanover, um, mm-hmm. who you know I thought was very impressive in that win in the cane pace, beating Perfect Sting and Summa Cum Laude, who we'll talk about, of course, in the next elimination. Um, yeah. uh, second place finish in the Adios uh, wasn't so great in the Hemp, but a little bit of a tough trip there. So that's one maybe I just throw in, um, maybe not a major win contender, but at least underneath. Um, and um, if you're putting me on the spot, I think I will actually preference Bulldog Hanover because Monique and I were talking about two trips this morning. That trip back on July 3rd in that Ontario Saturday's Gold Division um, from post 10, parked out basically the whole way, still winning. That was a huge effort. <laughs> and yes, um, back on Hamiltonian night, uh, that Ontario Saturday's Gold Division from post 8, it was when Lawless Shadow got hooked up in that speed duel going 53 and 4 to the half. And Bulldog Hanover also kind of ended up parked out with cover, though. A bit of a tough trip, too, but still managed to win there. So uh, those two impressive efforts really um, have me on the Bulldog Hanover uh, bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, he should probably be the favorite. I, albeit probably a slight favorite just because Lawless Shadow has been so good. But Bulldog Hanover, yeah, you can't, you can't knock him. 
The only thing you could probably, I guess, knock him is he's not racing against Ontario Sire Gold. He's not racing in Elmer's and Six anymore. These are the big boys, right? But he, he should be able to go with them. That's what he's showing. Um, but hasn't really raced against the top, top horses uh, other than the Ontario Sires, uh, in you know, in his previous races. Um, but definitely, uh, I'm with you as well with Wallace Shadow. Of course, soft spot for him. My first ever Meadowlands pace working and ever first one ever attended as well. Um, so for sure, we'll always remember standing in the pouring rain in the winter circle, watching Lala Shadow be brought back after the Charlie May disqualification. Yes, well, that's definitely memorable. Disqualification, pouring rain, your first uh, Meadowlands pace. But yeah, I mean, I thought he was, you know, much the best in that race. Obviously, you saw it. I mean, just had trouble getting out until very late. Um, but, um, you know, it was an uh, outstanding effort by him and um, ended up being the winner with the disqualification. But uh, um, uh, has to be considered a, a, a definite threat here. I mean, even his last race obviously worked out a lot better for him at the Hemp, but he, he did uh, the Deep Perfect Sting, and, uh, you know, he's one of the top contenders by all accounts. Speaking of Perfect Sting, we'll take a look now at race seven. That is the mm-hmm. second elimination for the Pepsi North America Cup. Also on the pace, also $50,000 purse. Now, this one's a field of eight, so there was 15 entered, seven in that first elimination. We have eight here. And uh, what do you think about this race, Murray? Well, it seems that six and eight are the logical contenders. I ended up taking the eight over the six, just because, for me, it's hard to take the short price with Perfect Sting, um, with him coming up second best so often lately. Um, certainly, obviously, racing well, but it just, just, you know, seemingly... Um, Seems to be the horse is you know a little bit content to finish second lately. He did he did defeat on back on July 30, 31st they faced each other uh, the perfect sting and which way to the beach and perfect sting did defeat which way to the beach but he hasn't won since he's got two straight seconds and he's been super short price every week right twenty cents on the dollar sixty cents on the dollar and um, I, I end up going with the eight which way to the beach he's had a start over the track one in the sun beach. Looked great doing it. Uh, you know, honestly, I thought he was starting to maybe hang a bit in the stretch. And then all of a sudden, he found another gear and, and picked away. Philion drove him that, that day, so he's familiar with him. Now he's got, you know, a, a drive with him. He's going to drive him in this race. Obviously, extremely respect uh, Brett Pelling. The 26-1 and one last quarter in the Sun Beach, extremely impressive. So I'm going to try and eight over six. Those are obviously the two that most people gravitate to. I'm curious to see uh, a couple of... Uh, Horses that close well and have the inside, if they sit close, both the two Pirate Hanover and the one Jimmy Connor B can really close if they get the right trip. So, and you know, witness Pirate Hanover's 25 and 2 last quarter uh, in his last race, you know, gaining almost five lengths in the stretch uh, on in the race, which we the beach was in, you know, and that was his first start for, for trainer uh, Richard Moreau. I find him interesting. And Jimmy Connor B's just improving, uh, not an easy horse to drive, but. I consider him an improving fold. I see the two of the one can definitely light the board. Um, obviously, tougher for them to win, but there are a couple that I, I would not be leaving out if I was betting, you know, trifecta or superfecta. Um, I like both those horses to light the board. Yeah, I think a bit of a tricky race. I, I mean, I do suspect Perfect Sting will be a short price again, but in my opinion, it's a pretty open race. Um I guess, uh, like I said, Monique and I already discussed this this morning, so I'll point uh, listeners if they didn't already listen to it kind of towards that one as I'll kind of keep my comments briefer here. But um, things we discussed was obviously perfect staying, you know, 10 for 10 last year. Uh, quite hasn't quite been the same this year. Um, but, you know, it's definitely been racing well, but has disappointed quite a few times as a favorite. Um, which way to the beach? Obviously a, a good local one there racing the last time out over the track. Um, 
for Brett Pelling. I got got the win there. Um, Summa Cum Laude was one we mentioned at a big price, 15 to 1. This is one that, you know, that heated with Perfect Sting last year in the British Crown. Just hasn't just hasn't found any sort of rhythm this year. 0 for 7, comes off that 6 scratch, so a lot of big question marks. But, uh, you know, if we're talking Super Factors, Trifectors, one I might include at a big price. Um, but the one you didn't mention that Monique and I both actually liked was the three of Buck Bet Hanover. Um, you know, Andy McCarthy has just always spoken so highly of him. And, uh, you know, they've got five wins this year from 10 starts, but they just haven't gotten the big prize yet. Um, you know, making the break in the Messenger final, uh, that interference in the Meadowlands Pace final, um, won the Adios elimination, but ends up finishing fifth in the final at 7-2. to two. So maybe this will be his coming out party if he can uh, – Mind his manners, obviously, comes off of that break in the hemp. I don't think he particularly enjoyed that smaller track, though. So I think getting back to the 7-8 mile track uh, might be something a buck of bets might want. Andy McCarthy, obviously, in town for the drive. Um, that's the one that I personally preference in here. Yeah, he's, he's capable. It's just been too inconsistent for me, obviously, in and out, and there's some breaks there. And You're right, he's capable of winning this race, but he hasn't really shown up when he needed to. So, for me, um, I, I would rate him behind you know, like I say, eight, six, two, I'd rate him about even with the one, but he, he's capable. He just, yeah, hasn't done it at the right times, like you mentioned, and, and a uh, little bit too much breaking for me, but he should, you should like the big Mohawk circuit better. I agree with that. So as we move on to race eight, this is the Maple Leaf Trot for $536,000, three-year-olds and older. And Murray, how about some of the names in here? We have Beads, Atlanta, Back of the Neck, Hamiltonian winner, Forbidden Trade, Lindy the Great, Manchego, play tricks on me, ready for money, hypnotic AM. I mean, this is an incredible field. Absolutely incredible field. And how about this, Edison? Would would you believe they they assemble, you know, an outstanding field of trotters for the Maple Leaf Trot? They're going for $500,000 plus. And would you believe the two morning line favorites are six-year-old mares against the boys? Now, I don't think that's probably ever going to happen again. The seven and the three, right? Manchego and Atlanta. So that's just something I noted. Like, that's never going to happen. Six-year-old mares against the boys in, in a race like this, and they're the two top two choices. But it's hard to take anything away from them. They're still both racing outstanding. For me, it's it's Manchego. Um, that's my pick. That's who I'm going to be hoping for. This is not a betting race for me. Um, I'm just going to I'm just gonna watch it and enjoy it and hope Manchego wins. I, I just love, love the way she raced on... Uh, on uh, Hamiltonian Day, hanging on that day, uh, tough trip held on by those all hearts, and uh, just a Manchego fan, and that, you know, uh, for me, that's the pick. There's obviously other horses you could go to looking for a price. I don't mind Forbidden Trade. Just curious to see how he races. Um, you know, he's only raced the once back in Canada. Row Row, he won it easily there, Georgian. I'm interested to see how many of the great races with James McDonald driving. He's been driving outstanding all year. He's going to pick up the drive here for. Julie Miller, Andy Miller's been driving that horse. That that's a long shot that I'm interested in, but just such an awesome field. Um, you know, I, like I say, it's probably not a race I'm going to bet a lot on, but but uh, a absolutely great uh, great race to watch. I feel like it's going to be. Yeah. Um, so for Manchego, uh, I just said recently in a DRF interview about a couple weeks ago that that was at least that I've seen in person the greatest horse I've ever seen in person, and um, I, I still stand by yeah. that. Uh, she is just so impressive. And, you know, I've always wanted to get a good picture of her in the winner circle when she wins. And right. I was on the desk discussing the uh, late pick four with Dave Little after, during that Cashman race. 
And when they came to the line, obviously so close of a photo with Beads, I was just determined that Beads won that photo because I wasn't going to get to take my picture of Manchego in the winner's circle. <laughs> but uh, it was very, very cool to get to see her up and close. And, um, yeah, I mean, at this point in her career, let's be real, it's a bigger surprise if she doesn't beat the boys than when she does. Absolutely uh-huh. true. But just, just in the history of harness racing, when you assemble a, you know, a, a, an aged uh, trot field that's uh, going for the big money, it's not usually six-year-old mares that dominate. Uh, but uh, in this case, you're right. It's more of a surprise if she doesn't, if she doesn't win. And um, it was definitely all heart that wanted that photo over beats that day. And uh, I assume you got your picture. I did. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome experience to get to see her up and close. And uh, yeah, she was uh, very, very cool coming back to the winter circle. And be honest, I think she probably could have gone around again. I mean, she's just uh, <laughs> got to be fantastic. Great. Nancy Tactor, Dexter Dunn, you know, of course, always thrilled in the winter circle to see her win again. Um, and, you know, they almost retired her after the TVG finals last year. So it's so great that we get to see her back on the track for another year. Um, Absolutely. Sure. Comes back and, and she's only six for seven, right? I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> And yeah, Lanta's right up there with her, four for six. She's also one that uh, wins yep. a lot. Uh, Ron Burke, Yannick Gingras. So um, she's definitely with a chance. The two beads, I'll still brag about it. My top pick in that race. I think I actually made it my best bet of the night or long shot of the night at the Ooh. Meadowlands. One Meadowlands pace night was beads in the Hamilton maturity from post 10. Got that nice win. And yes, yeah, you know, not to, you know, Manchego, of course, the great champion, but nothing should be taken away from beads. He raced really, really well in that Cashman as well. So, um, between those three American shippers, uh, definitely should be a fantastic race. And again, all sorts of a supporting cast underneath that will make for a great, great Maple Leaf trot. Absolutely. So race nine, the Fan Hanover Elimination. This was the three-year-old Phillies on the pace for a purse of 35000 We got a field of seven here. And what did you think of this race, Murray? Pretty formful, I think, Edison. Uh, again, not, you know, for me, uh, if, it's, if it looks really chalky, um, you know, not sure I would bet too much, but for me, it's yeah, Hot Mass Express. Obviously, didn't like uh, didn't like the smaller track. Um, I think everyone would agree five eights five eights tracks are, are not her game, but I think she'll be outstanding in this race at Mohawk. And I think they're going to have a really hard time beating her, and it's hard to go much further than than two or three underneath. I mean, maybe maybe uh, Yannick uh, picks up the six a little bit, and 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 you could consider her underneath, but. It's hard to go much further than four or two, three, and that's and that's just chalk. So um, for me, that's all I could really come up with, though. No, I'm with you. Um, you know, it's really tough to, to look around Hot Mess Express. Um, before she came to us at the Meadowlands, she was racing a lot out at Hoosier Park um, for the Alanya Armada, and yes. uh, she was doing really well over that 7-8 track. So I, I think she will enjoy Woodbine Mohawk surface for sure. And, yeah, I, I'm willing to excuse that last effort of Pocono. I just don't think the 5.8 was what she wanted. Obviously, post-9 is always tricky, too, on a, on a 5.8 track. But, um, yeah. yeah, she is by far the one to beat here. Seventh grade this year. Yeah. I'm sorry, go on. I just, she just wasn't getting around the 5.8s at all. It didn't seem to matter much what trip she got. It just wasn't going to work for her that day, I felt like. But no problem with Mohawk. I agree. Not that much different from Hoosier at 7.8 track. Um, you know, way more sweeping turns should should be fine for her, I would think. Yeah, I've got to agree as well. I mean, you know, she's seventh rate this year. That was the only blemish this year, but but on this size and right. bigger track, you know, seven eighths a mile, she's seven for seven and will in all likelihood make it eight for eight on Saturday night. <laughs> very, very talented Philly. Like I'd love to watch her race. So race ten, the Canadian pacing derby for three year olds and older, five hundred and ninety thousand dollar purse on the pace. And Murray, I alluded to it earlier to you, but there's another. This is that second horse 
that with Lion Sentinel, it feels like I was against a lot this year at the Meadowlands. Right. And in fact, I know for sure I, I, I knocked her in the winner circle on Hamiltonian Day because I remember my exact comments on air to Dave Little were in the McKee, before the McKee Memorial where, you know, this, of course, I always seem to exclude. And whenever I don't use him, he seems to win. So I'm sure Ali White Canover will win the McKee Memorial, knock me out in the first leg of the pick four. And that's exactly what he did. So um, I'm not going to try to beat him this time. And uh, trainer Brett Pelling, of course, some. Um, uh, very, very good. Todd McCarthy picking up, coming up for the drive. Um, and I think Alleywag should get the job done here. But uh, Catawash, Catch the Fire, uh, Century Pharaoh, Tattoo Artist, this is the plan. I mean, there is this is another really, really good field. Awesome. It's the kind of field where you can get a long shot. I caught I caught a good long shot in this race last year with Dorsa Dor- Dor- Bureau Hanover. Uh, James McDonald won with that horse that I believe is about 60 to 1. Um, not sure that's going to happen this year, but this is the kind of race where you can get it because a horse like Tattoo Artist pretty much has to have the front, right? And uh, it's not like they're going to just let him have the front easy. Um, you know, Century Pharaoh likes to leave. Obviously, the one is going to put that position. Cattle Wash leaves, Alleywag leaves. So you would think they're going to go with some fractions. And speaking of fractions, how about three quarters, 118 and three for Tattoo Artist <laughs> at the metal? Uh, you know what? That was believed. We were discussing this. You know, there's a lot of ways I can talk about that race, but I guess we'll start with um, when I actually watched that race, I was in the driver's lounge at the Meadowlands getting ready to do some interviews in the back paddock. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone sitting in there, trainers, drivers, just kind of mouth agape at these fractions. I mean, 25 flat, 52, 118 and three. And yeah. you know what? I think we believe it to be a fifth or two fifths of a second off of the record. But for all intents and purposes, it's basically the record for the fastest three quarters of the Meadowlands. Um, an incredible race. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah he was. Gasping for the line at the end, but he did get there. <laughs> he did get there, and I mean, talk about buying them out. But yeah, anytime you get down to the half and fifty-two, uh, you're gonna the, the drivers are gonna look up and, and take notice. That's for sure. If you're in the drivers' room, but uh, um, just you know, I mean, maybe Bob sends him like that in this race. It's gonna be tough to win it that way, I would think. But then again, you know, that's his style. Um, I guess he could try to work out a pocket. For me, I ended up going to catch the fire. Um, I like the uh, Ohio connections. Seven for 11 in the win column this year, obviously. I like, I see this horse catching the kind of trip you usually have to get to win this race, which is somewhere in the outer flow, like third over, that kind of thing. I think Dorsoduro last year maybe was even fourth over. If you get the kind of crashes that, you know, should should happen in this race, there's nothing wrong with being third or even fourth over and then, uh, you know, you're fresh for the drive. I'm hoping for that kind of race from Catch the Fire because he doesn't really usually leave for the front. Um, hoping that they go out of that front and he catches some cover, perhaps, you know, a best in show might, you know, uh, might be first over. Uh, that kind of horse would be a good horse to follow. He's been racing well. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go to catch the fire, but obviously an absolutely wide open edition of the Canadian Pacing Derby and uh, really looking forward to this one as well. Yeah, yeah, Dave Weaver on a couple weeks ago after the Dan Patch talking about catch the fire's win and, um, yeah, you know, uh, kind of tried to get that trip in that race and, wasn't quite able to do it, but still got up in the end to win. Uh, tell me about it. And I believe 74 to one was flying one late had post nine. Really was, so better yeah. post might've won it. Yeah. And, but Scott's done a great job, job driving this horse. Obviously he drove him to three straight wins there, uh, you know, two at the Meadowlands and then the, the Dan patch. So um, I'm just going to put some faith in Scotty Z, uh, uh, you know, originally a Canadian himself and uh, say he's going to work out the trip or catch the fire. The horse is definitely capable, but, um, you know, you can make a case for so many of them in here, certainly. 
Well, Murray, the final race we'll talk about here, it's race 11. This is Fan Hanover Elimination. The three-year-old Phillies on the pace for 35000 a field of six, and from the outside, six to five favoritism with Firestart Hanover. Yeah, Firestart Hanover is where I ended up uh, going. I think you pretty much have to in this race. The only thing I strayed a little bit from what is you know on the morning line or what might end up being the chalk is I like either the two or five to possibly get second. Um, I like the way both of them raced last time. They raced against each other and both raced quite well. I'm a little bit, a little bit off of uh, off the record. Not sure what to make of Notorious Pink. Um, you know, the, the super fast times that she shows coming in are from, of course, the Red Mile, which always has to be taken a bit with a grain of salt, as you know. Um, you know, probably the fastest track in North America. So um, I'm I'm six with either two or five in in this uh, Fan Hanover event. Yeah, so Firestart Hanover is one I've tried to beat in the past as well, and I've, I've done so semi-successfully. I'm glad to have Grace Hill on top in the Shady Daisy there on Hamiltonian Day. Um, so uh, the, the, once again, I'll, I'll try to beat her here. Notorious Pink is the one I think I'm going to try, um, yeah. obviously down at the Red Mile. Um, yes. That huge win at 1-9, to nine, uh, second win of the year, seems to be kind of getting a little bit better in form here. Uh, obviously a, a bit of a step up here today to take on Firestart Hanover, but uh, hopefully some confidence in that last win and uh, – Take a chance with her because obviously Firestar Hanover is likely to be another very, very short price again in this race. Yeah, this race. maybe you know maybe the light bulb's gone on and she's put it all together. Um, you know how about how about her qualifying in forty nine and two at the Meadowlands back in June? That's that's interesting. But then you know race forty until she got to the Red Mile. So for me, like I say, I'm a little skeptical of horses coming in from the Red Mile showing fast times. But um, you know uh, she obviously has ability. The one thing in your favor trying to beat Firestar Hanover is she does show a little bit of seconditis, obviously, uh, with four seconds and seven starts this year. But I felt, uh, you know, she's not facing Grace Hill in here and, and some of the other ones she's been facing, Hot Mass Express, etc. So that's why I ended up having her on top. But I kind of went against the Doris Pink because of the Red Mile factor. So that is a look at the first 11 races on Saturday's card. Um, there's still two more races after that that are some conditioned events. But again, a huge... 13 race card coming up this Saturday from Wood by Mohawk. Uh, Murray, I think this might have been the longest show so far, but uh, by far it's also the best card that we've had to talk about at Wood by Mohawk. I mean, obviously they put on an exceptional product every night, but this card in particular, I'm just um, really, really looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully, I think we're going to finish the Meadowlands. We only have 12 races, so hopefully we'll finish kind of about race 9 or 10, maybe to Woodbine. I'll get a chance to listen into some of these last races uh, on the car ride home and catch some replays later, but uh, it's going to be a fantastic yeah. card. I hope you do. I'll be coming back from the track on two myself and trying to catch as many as I can. And I'll go anything I miss. I'll be watching the replays. But just a, just a, a phenomenal card put together. And uh, any harness racing fan uh, is obviously uh, just going to be in their glory watching uh, watching this card on Saturday night. So very happy to be with you to discuss it. Hopefully, some people got uh, uh, something out of it. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, so, Murray, before we let you go, um, any plugs you'd like to give for either Century Downs, a track on two, racing schedules, websites, anything for fans to visit? Yeah, for sure. Um, Century Downs, we race Tuesdays and Sundays at 2.15, which is 2.15 Mountain, so 4.15 Eastern. Free program is available on our website. Just search for CenturyDowns.com. I believe it's I believe it's CNTY.com, but free program on there, free picks from me and a couple other fine uh, gentlemen are on there so Tuesdays and Sundays for there and track on two is Saturday afternoons at 310 Mountain also uh, free program free feed on their website and um, that's that's where I am uh, Tuesdays Saturdays and Sundays and I also 
also have a full-time job running a company. So uh, I'm a busy man here in the summer. Uh, I basically have jobs that uh, entail me working uh, nine days a week. And uh, last time I checked, there's only seven days in a week. So <laughs> keeps me busy. Final plug from me is, of course, as always, for your free program for Woodbine Mohawk, go to woodbine.com backslash mohawk backslash free hyphen programs. Again, Friday and Saturday evening racing this week at Woodbine Mohawk. First post, 7 p.m. both nights. 12 races Friday. This huge 13 race card on Saturday. Um, if you didn't catch it earlier today, the episode out with Monique Vage talking about the Friday action. This episode, obviously, talking about the Saturday action. We'll wish you the best of luck this weekend in all your wagering endeavors at Woodbine Mohawk and anywhere else you may play. And we will talk to you next time on First Over with Edison Hatter.